The thing with flips is timing. Like the faster you could do a flip, the better your ROI is, the more you could turn that money. If you could do a deal in 90 days, you could turn that money four times in a year. And that, that's huge. Mm-hmm. It usually ends up being a little bit more than that. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Boat, and today our guest is Jonathan Barr from JB2 Investments. Today, we're learning about his switch from flipping to long-term real estate investing. He flipped over 400 homes in Los Angeles and decided to switch from flipping to long-term investing. And today we're going through that process, where he's investing now, why he decided to make that switch, what all the upside has been, what the downsides of flipping are. And he's not sour on flipping, but frankly, I'm sour on flipping. I've made no secret of that in the past. And we're going to dig into all of that. If you're out there, you're considering flipping real estate, but you're not sure if you'd rather flip or invest for the long term, listen to this interview and consider Jonathan's experience switching from flipping. And remember, he did over 400 flip deals. That's really incredible. Switching from flipping to long-term investing, why he did it, the problems that he had as a flipper, and how he solved those problems by becoming a long-term real estate investor and so much more. Great conversation with Jonathan. He is really in the weeds doing deals. And I loved this conversation. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically multifamily and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn more about what I do, and you'd like to consider potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, schedule a call with me, and I will look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honored to you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see reviews. I get to see what you have to say and other people get to see your reviews. And that just helps us grow. And I love it so, so much. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Once again, our guest today is Jonathan Barr from JB2 Investments, learning about his switch from flipping to long-term real estate investing, why he decided to make that transition, and so much more. How he invests remotely from LA in the Midwest, why he picked the markets that he did, A lot of great information in this one. Without any further ado, here we go. Jonathan, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Taylor, for having me. Really excited to dig into your experience as a flipper and then your transformation into your current method of real estate investing. But for our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us a bit about yourself, what you do and what you invest in? Sure, yeah. I'm I'm Jonathan Barr with JV2 Investments. And as you said, I was a former flipper in a family business, have since left that since January of 2020 to get into multifamily investments, bought our first building in November of 2019. So it's coming on three years and kind of the light bulb turned on because I like quadruple my cash flow from a duplex that I sold in LA to a 14 unit in Kansas City. And so my brother and I started uh, JB2 Investments and we have now 
three three properties that we bought in Oklahoma City. We're actually just went under contract on a fourth one today, which so we're at 273 units with this one. It'll put us at over 400 units, probably about $30 million plus real estate. And a lot of the cash that we've invested in these deals has come from properties we've sold in LA to 1031 over there. And then we've also started to raise money from others on, on, on our deals, but primarily the cash has come from us. That's changing now, but we continue to grow. And also our kind of investment theory is longer term hold. So we're doing a refinance within five years to return most of capital. And then we're holding 10 plus years. We're only selling to 1031 into newer assets. Nice, nice. Awesome. Yeah. And I'd love to dig today into your experience flipping and then that transition that you made from flipping to longer term investing, the reasons why and all those kinds of things. But let's rewind the clock and get into your experience as a flipper. How do you get into flipping? And we'll go through just you know, maybe some deals that you did or lessons that you learned along the way in that space. Sure. So I, I got into that business because my family's in it. So my parents were flipping homes. I graduated college in 2008 during the last recession and couldn't really find a job. So my mom was like, you can come work with, with us if you like. And when you have no money in the bank, you kind of don't have much <laughs> options. <laughs> and so I joined them in 2009. And during that period, we did about 400 flips, which created about $22 million in profits during that time period. And also did some development. So built some ground up townhouses, some small apartment buildings. Um, also developed land that I sold entitled to other builders. Um, and then also had a small portfolio of properties that I leased and managed myself. So I've kind of been in the trenches during that, during that. So I kind of got a taste of that longer term hold thing. And I made more money off the few duplexes that I held for 10 years than the, my whole time flipping homes and making a share of the profits. Wow. So that just shows you the power of long-term flips. I mean, long-term uh, holds. The flips are good to get going, but the long-term holds are where the true wealth is, is built. Great. So, you know, let's talk about uh, about flipping and your experience. And one of the things that I makes me dislike flips as a method of real estate investing is that it's not really investing. It's not taxed as investing. It's taxed as buying and selling business inventory. So the taxes are a lot higher, but it's also true a lot of work to get started. So can you tell us about your process to to flip a property? I imagine it was pretty streamlined there, especially toward the end of your your time in that business. Yeah, I mean it's it's a speculative business. And that's why <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of banks won't lend on stuff like that because mm-hmm. it's it's too risky. But yeah, I mean at at the height of that, when we were doing, you know, eight homes a month, we had three property managers, we had a whole system, everything. The big thing was time. The thing with flips is timing. Like the faster you could do a flip, the better your ROI is, the more you could turn that money. If you could do a deal in 90 days, you could turn that money four times in a year. And that that's huge. Mm-hmm. It usually ends up being a little bit more than that. Let's say you flip that same money twice. So, so that becomes very powerful. And then you have a system in place that it, it becomes really good. And we were working in an area of LA that was kind of like gentrifying and trendy and, and, you know, doing like a little higher design you actually got paid for in, in those parts of Los Angeles. So we had, we had a kind of a niche, which I think is important if you're getting into flips, like really get to know like street by street, different areas and know what your values are because 
it's a it's it's completely speculative so if you have to really know okay this thing could sell for this probably better but at minimum i'm going to get this and if it works at that then then you move forward and we just became we had our niche people knew what we did we told everyone what we were doing and to this day almost 3 years out of the business i still have people sending me deals and i just <laughs> forward it to my family and they've bought stuff from people that I just knew what I did from years ago. Great, great. So in that, uh, actually finding those deals in, you know, my part of the country, which is not quite flyover country, but it's, you know, Virginia, it's not anything like LA. Yeah. Generally, people are buying properties that need work from distressed owners who are maybe going to get foreclosed on. But during the pandemic, now I know you left right before the pandemic, but during yeah. the pandemic, foreclosures pretty much stopped in most of the country. I imagine they were even lower in California than than around the rest of the country. So yeah. is that different in that area? Or are people it's, still It was non-existent. After? I mean, I, yeah. I wasn't involved during that time, but most of what they were buying at this point was just through agent contacts or we used to send a lot of letters as well. But in, in the beginning, like in 2009, obviously we were buying a lot of REOs and I was going to the courthouse steps to bid on houses. That's where we we were buying stuff at 50 cents of the dollar or sometimes even less. But yeah, now it's more transitioned into like relationships and put and just marketing and, and like people know who you are and they know what you do and, and like this trust to the name and, and, you know, people tell people, you know, and you do good work and you're an honorable person and they, they want to work with you. Great. So you talked a little bit about turning the money over when doing deals. Were you using other people's money, taking maybe hard money loans? Were you using your own money, family money? Like how are you funding those flip deals? At the beginning, it was other people's money that they would put the money and then we just split the profits 50-50. Um, later it become, became more like hard money loans where we created like good relationships that was like borderline, not even a hard money loan because the interest rate was actually somewhat decent and they would even fund, like, let's say we bought something at an auction, they would fund a deal, fund that deal for us like two days later and then we could take it right back to the auction, you know? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, cool. So now let's dive into that transition, especially I imagine you maybe thought about it for a little while or what what drove you to really, you know, look to get out of the flipping space and get into more long-term investing. What was the impetus around that? Yeah, I mean, in that business I was in, we had to do three de deals a month just to pay for all our overhead. Wow. So there was a lot of pressure just to get deals, just to pay for everything, let alone make a profit. And it was stressful. And then I had my little duplexes over here making a decent amount of money. And then I took something that was making $1,200 a month. And then all of a sudden I'm making 5,000 a month moving that money. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a salary right there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if I could do this a few times, I could live off this for sure. And that was, that really is the impetus. I'm, I'm like, I don't want to work my ass off for making less money in the long run. <laughs> and I could go, I can go do this and still work hard and still grind because you got to grind sometimes and have more freedom and flexibility and live where I, where I want to live. Nice. So less time pressure in, in this life or you saw it. And that's one of the reasons you went after it. 100%. Way more freedom, way more whatever. I mean, the, the times, there's still stress, obviously, but it's different. Nice. Okay. So 
you knew you wanted to take the time pressure off, you know, not have as not have to hustle to do those three deals just to keep the lights on. But how did you pick the direction that you were going to go? Maybe the the market, the specific asset class. I mean, there's there's a whole world of options, especially once you decided I want to invest outside of L.A. Well, it's a big country with a lot of options. So how did you start to narrow that down? Pretty simple. My wife has family in the Kansas City area and I was there for the holidays and got bored and started looking at properties and started doing math. And I was like, huh, this is actually makes a lot of sense. And like I went around, I was like, there's like cool coffee shops, restaurants, like I like I would live here, you know, which I was I was surprised. I, I grew up in Southern California, I'd never been in the Midwest in my life. I was like, what? This is, this is just cows there, right? <laughs> like, <what's it? laughs> and so I, I went there and I was like, okay, let's try this. It worked. It, it, it that I still own that property. It's it's a great property. It's pay, pays me monthly five thousand dollars a month, and it it's been it's been great. No major issues, nothing. And then we're like, okay, let's keep it going. And now we're almost three hundred units deep after owning no properties out of LA less than three years ago. Nice. So, what amount yeah. of a vetting of the area or or team building or putting your putting your ducks in a row before you bought a property did you do did you just go for it or did you really kind of set things up and make that first acquisition? no it took me two years to actually buy the property i think one was just getting over the, that mental hurdle of mm-hmm. like okay i can actually buy something that's not in my backyard so that was getting over that and then yeah i found a good property manager found good brokers vendors um and then our impetus to go to Oklahoma City is we wanted to, you know, build a business out of this and raise money from people, but it doesn't really make sense to do smaller deals. So you got to kind of have like a minimum threshold there. And in Kansas City, it didn't really make sense. The numbers weren't really making sense anymore. So we opened up the scope, landed in Oklahoma City, connected with a manager that brought us the deal that connected us with the broker. And then it kind of just spiraled from there. And now we're, I, I feel like I know Oklahoma City probably the second best place like that I know out of LA right now. Awesome. Great. I'm glad to hear that. So what lessons have you learned in transitioning from flipping to longer term investing? I imagine there's quite a bit that you pick up that, hey, this worked in the flipping business, but I I don't need to do it this way in long-term investing or the other way around. Hey, I wasn't doing XYZ as a flipper, but now I need to do that thing as a longer term investor, what have you picked up? I mean, I think one of the biggest thing is accelerated depreciation because mm-hmm. you cannot do that with flips because there's nothing to accelerate because you're not holding it for very long. Mm-hmm. But yeah, with the longer term stuff, you could accelerate the depreciation to and and for your 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 listeners that don't know what that is, you could you have you know 27 and a half years of depreciation that you basically have paper losses that you could offset income every year, but you could accelerate a lot of that in the first year. And so essentially you have paper losses to offset a lot of the income you're making there. Um, and you can continue to defer a lot of that cash flow income that you're bringing in, which is great, which, you know, that 8% return maybe at that point becomes 12% if you take taxes into account. Nice. That is one of the things I think a lot of folks before they get into real estate don't realize is how Flipping doesn't receive really any tax advantages that I'm aware of compared to longer term investing, which has quite a bit of options and quite a bit of ability to reduce your tax bill, at least in the short term. Yep. Yeah. 1031s. I mean, all all kinds of 1031s have been powerful. 
Um, accelerated depreciation has been powerful. As long as you're like, you need to kind of buy like elite or be involved in at least one deal a year to make that kind of make sense, I would say. Yeah. So you still, at least as of right now, you still live in LA, but you're moving to Oregon. You're not moving to where you invest. So you're a remote real estate investor. I know there are a lot of folks who live in California that would love to invest in the Midwest. What kind of systems have you had to build to make that work? Because you're, you can't get there, right? It's going to be probably a day till you can fly to go look at your properties if there's a problem. So what have mm-hmm. you put in to, to make that happen? I mean, we have a third party manager and we have our properties are like seven units or more. So we have staff on site, maintenance people. We have an owner portal so we could see in real time income and expenses going in and out. And then we do weekly reports where they report on certain KPIs and we have calls with them as well where we go through it. Uh, We also keep monthly budgets um, and incentivize them based on those budgets. Um, So we keep track of all those things. And then we usually control like any larger projects with the vendors directly, just because it seems to work better than that. Let the managers focus on the day-to-day and we'll, we'll, we'll focus on some of those larger things. And we're out there probably at least every quarter, sometimes more, just depending on what's going on. Um, So I feel like we're on the ground enough to like show our presence and, and we've, We've built really good relationships with our managers that they they understand how what their expectation from from us is and how we like the work that like at this point when we have meetings, they just tell us what we want to hear, not what we want to hear, but they know <laughs> they know how we want to hear it or like what information we want um, mm-hmm. that they already know how to present it in a way that will just kind of move the, the the meeting along and then we'll ask questions as needed. Great. So yeah, they're not telling you what you want to hear, but they're talking about the aspects of the business that you want to talk about and, and, and learn about. Yeah. So, they know what's important to us. Great. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. So you said you're there about every, every quarter, which is great. Now you have your existing portfolio. You're also buying and buying new deals and obviously having to do due diligence on those deals. Yep. So how do you handle that when you're looking at a new deal? Do you fly out? Do you have a punch list? Like walk us through the process of buying a new property. From a yeah, remote we, situation. We, we go out there and we hire a professional inspection company to spend a day at the property going through a sample of the units, check out the sewers. You know, a, a lot of times we actually have to go into the leasing office to get copies of leases and all that kind of stuff. It depends on the level of sophistication of the seller, obviously. And we the manager helps us with 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 all that. But yeah, our, our due diligence process usually takes about 30 days, financing about 45 days and closing 60. And then once we close, they have a, a process of taking over and uploading into their, their yardy system, all, all the tenants and make sure. And then before we close, we're also getting bids on everything so that day one, we can already start doing improvements. We don't lose any time. Nice. So whenever somebody's investing successfully, especially from a distance, everybody wants to know, where do you get your deals? So how are you finding <laughs> deals? Is this through relationships you build, brokers? Are you still doing mailers? How are you, how are you making them happen? We've done some mailers, but it hasn't been through that way. So most of it is actually just come through brokers. I'm, I'm really active on Twitter. There's like a real estate oh, Twitter okay. space. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of deals have come from there. And at this point, like, we know all the big brokers. We've now done a deal with the biggest broker in Oklahoma that like wouldn't really answer to us before. And now they're picking up our call and 
we're actually selling a property and they're selling the property for us. So we're like, as you begin to grow and have a presence, people take you more serious. People, you you start to go up their list and you start to see things sooner than anyone else. So it, it takes time. It, I feel like it took us two years to really like break into the market. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, brokers really care that you have the ability to close. You've demonstrated that now. So now you're yep. going to get more access basically. Yeah, the next deal we're buying is the second deal we're buying from the same seller, for example. So the, nice. a lot of this is a lot of the there's a lot of people that own a lot of properties, and if you bought from them before, they're more inclined to let you buy from them again. Great, great. So, what are your thoughts yeah. on interest rates going up? And that's been you know going on. It's a continued topic of conversation. Are you seeing that affect your your deal flow or your prospects on deals that you already have? Yeah, I think we're in a place where sellers still want a lot for their properties, and and Obviously, it's affecting numbers. So there's like a weird kind of like time right now where like I think a lot of things are kind of on a standstill. Um, the last property we just put under contract today, we did retrade a little bit with the mm-hmm. price, and they and they also gave us a little time because another part of it was we needed to sell that property to be able to raise enough funds to get the deal done, and because there some of our investors do not want to invest right now because they are scared. Mm-hmm. about the market. Not all, that's a small minority to be honest, but, or maybe they are going to invest, but they'll invest a little bit less right now just because they want to see more of what's going on. But for us, we, if the, we're already, we've already always been conservative on our underwriting and we've beat projections by like 50% across the board on most of nice. our deals. And that shows you there's a level of conservatism there. So we are, you know, trying to keep things tighter and have some more of a cushion if we can. But for us, as long as rents continue to at least stay stable, which I looked at OKC rents 30 years back, and during the last recession, they only went down $18, 2.7%. So I feel like we're in pretty good shape, even if they do something similar, or even potentially a little bit worse, we're still in good place. And and we we have a buffer that we the rents are like, delinquency or occupancy can go down a combination of 25 to 30% and we still break even. So we we have a lot of space to like take a hit if we if it happens in our longer and because we have a longer term approach, we're not too worried about what is happening on, on values because over long term they go up. Um, it's more about like rents, can we continue to maintain it and asset manage and that's a, another like, I feel like this is when a group like us shines. And I think there's going to be some really good deals in the next six to 24 months. And I'm actually really excited. Wow, that's great. So since you're bringing in investors, there's always a question of, you know, hold period and that kind of a thing. What your exit strategy is, is very important. People want to know, even if they like you a lot, they want to know, hey, if I invest in this deal, basically how long am I married to you? you know, in, in this, this property. So how long are you uh, projecting your holds on these deals? It depends on the deal, but usually like the deal we're selling right now, we only held it for two years, mm-hmm. but we're going to 1031 that money into a deal that's 30 years newer. And that one will hold for like 10 plus years for sure. But the idea being within five years, you've been completely de-risked because you've got all your money back that you're still just like making gravy essentially. So who cares at that point if you're still in a deal that you have no money in mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the way we got to look at it. And then so we'll, we'll keep the So the idea is like longer term, 10 plus years. If it's an older product, maybe sell it before 10 years to buy something newer, but to continue to move your money with us and grow for decades. 
I really like that thought process, especially you mentioned this property is 30 years newer. That makes such a big difference because older properties just, they're going to have a bunch of gremlins and stuff that needs to be fixed. It's going to come up and it's going to cost a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, we have a property that is about maybe 15, 20 years newer than the one we're selling and maintenance is half. So there you go. Nice. Nice. (laughs) So before we move on to the last part of the show, do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners who are considering maybe they're out there, they're flipping, they're thinking about getting into longer term investing, or they're thinking about flipping, but they're not really sure if they want to get into longer term investing. What are your parting thoughts about that before we move on? I mean, I I think everyone should add some sort of long term approach in their portfolio. Or if you are flipping, you know, buy that fourplex or that eightplex and could be in your backyard or you could do it somewhere else. I think you just kind of have to like go for it. Um, I think that's it. And it's not easy because it took me a couple of years to actually like pull the trigger, but I'm, I haven't looked back and I've grown, we've grown a significant business now off the backs of an idea, really. Nice. Nice. I love that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Jonathan, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's go. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Honestly, the place I'm living sitting in right now, my primary home, bought it in 2013, put put significant capital into it to improve it. And we're moving from LA to Ben, Oregon, which basically we're getting double for what what we get here in LA. And so I'm going to have enough money to, we had enough money to buy a house out there and then still have some money left over to invest in what we're doing now, which is Amazing, which is a miracle, really. And a lot of it actually being tax-free because if you're married, you could up to 500K, you could take tax-free. That's awesome. That's awesome. And there's yeah. been a big run up in LA, I'm sure, since 2013. So yeah, it's been crazy. And I bought a fixer and we did massive improvements. So it's like a combination of that. And it's just, it, it it's beyond anything I could have ever imagined, to be honest. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the more painful side of that coin, if we're honest, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? So we used to buy at the foreclosure auctions and you don't get title insurance at the foreclosure auctions. Mm. So basically you have to do your own, you could order prelims and stuff and do your own, you become your own title officer essentially. But a lot of times during that time, people are getting second loans. And sometimes the second loan can go to auction unknowingly that there's still a first on the property. So we bought a property, we bought a second, we did lose substantial money having to pay off that first when we sold the property. But in the grand scheme of things, it was a small blimp. And that's like one deal out of 400. So that's like a point two percent like error rate which is (laughs) not bad i would say (laughs) 
Well, that's interesting to know. You know, I haven't ever invested in that way myself on the courthouse steps. It seemed like, especially when I started investing, all the old dogs were kind of saying, ah, that's really picked over at this point. Like those deals are kind of gone. I don't know if that's still the case these days. Honestly, yeah, it's pretty much like that. But though I, we did buy something at the foreclosure auctions right before I left, it was actually a flipper that lost it through a hard money loan Uh, and we bought it. They had just not done a great job on the flip on the work. So we came in and did some changes and did really well. Nice. Nice. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I think the biggest lesson I've actually learned, and a lot of it had to do with that experience of of losing money on that deal is I'm a big advocate actually for men and and mental health because I've dealt with depression Mm -hmm. and like, you know, the, the money and all that stuff is there, but you know, if you, if you can't take care of yourself and, and your loved ones and, and your health, like none of that really matters, you know? So that, that's been like my biggest, and that, that, that's the impetus for, for my move to, to just be more in nature and more like more in, in, in a place. Like, I think it's more like create the lifestyle you, you want that, that, that is what I've learned a lot in the last like 10 years. Awesome. That's great. And that's one of the reasons, frankly, that I'm, I'm not an advocate for folks flipping real estate because in my opinion, it doesn't really create the lifestyle that most busy professionals who just want to earn passive cash flow want. It's just another hustle. It's another job. And I don't think that's what most people are really aiming for. But hey, you know, whatever floats your boat, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it depends too. Like with with flips too, like there's some really nice areas of LA where you you can make a million dollars on the right flip if mm-hmm. you do the right job. And if you're doing one or two of those a year, then maybe it's not so bad. It's a million you know? bucks. <laughs> Pre-tax. <You know? laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. If you're clearing out half a million dollars a year, you're doing all right. Yeah. 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 Well, hey, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today, telling us about your shift from flipping into longer term real estate investing, how you found deals, how you found the markets that you invest in, how you evaluate them, manage them, and so much more. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more, where can they track you down? Uh, yeah, just go to my website, jb2investments.com, or you can find me on Twitter. Just look me up or Jonathan Barr, or JB2 Investments. Also, I have an ebook. Uh, it's just our website, forward slash lower. It's about the tax advantages of, of investing in, in longer term stuff through 1031s, accelerated depreciation, and retirement funds. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.